Good morning, everyone. So I am Kathy Hernandez, and it's definitely a pleasure to be here with all of you. So um, this morning, you can see that the topic is do not disturb. So my husband and I, we travel a lot for work. As you heard uh, a Pastor mention that we work at the Southern Union Conference. And for those of you who do not know, the Southern Union encompasses eight states of the Southeast United States. And so we are in all of those states, and we get to do a lot of fun stuff. But the one thing that is, we, we enjoy it, but it can be sometimes a little bit like t uh, take a toll on us, is we do not sleep in our homes very often, in our own home very often. We are on the road a lot. On a good month, we sleep in our own bed maybe 10 days out of the entire month. And so the rest of the time, Hilton uh, brand hotels are our home. Uh, people make fun of me sometimes or they'll laugh at me when I say I'm going home and they're like home where you live here No, my hotel. I'm going to my hotel because for us at this point in time home is where we can lay our head or home is where we, him and I are together So that is home one of our f uh, One of my best friends when I get to the hotel is that do not disturb sign How many of you and uh, have your do not disturb currently placed in the door of your room, right? Do not disturb so um, give me some reasons why you put the do not disturb sign on the door of your uh, hotel room. Privacy. Okay, you want some privacy. Another reason, anyone? Sleep. Correct, sleep. He got your answer, right? Yeah, he did. I could see. Uh huh. Sleep. Anyone else? Lack of trust. Okay, you don't trust the people who are going to come to clean your room. So, um, I like to put it on for a few reasons. Uh, I am a little bit strange in that, and my husband says, well, you're at a hotel, why are you so worried about this? But I'm, I am a little bit strange in that I like my room to look nice and tidied up and kind of clean so that whoever comes to clean my room doesn't think that I'm, you know, this dirty, unorganized, you know, I can't believe, I don't want them making me comments about how my lo room looks, you know what I'm saying? So, I have to have things in order. Um, and when our kids would travel with us uh, when they were younger, before now they're all off and in college and stuff, uh, but when they used to travel with us, they would literally, it looked like a bomb had got off in the room. I was like, we just got here. It's been 10 minutes. Like, how did your, you know, suitcase totally explode in that amount of time? So that's, you know, one of the reasons. And also you mentioned rest. You know, d you want to just rest. And for us also, we're often gone on Sabbath, and we kind of put the do not disturb so that on Sabbath they can take a rest from cleaning at least our room. But oftentimes, we use the do not disturb sign in our personal lives, how we relate to God, and even in our own marriages. And some, for some, the, some of the reasons that us, that we give for putting the do not disturb sign on a hotel room can often be the same reason why we're putting a do not disturb sign currently in our marriages. Um, I don't trust right? I, I thought that was a good point. I don't trust, you know, people to come in or I don't want to tell what's going on because I can't trust uh, someone with what I'm, you know, what I, what's going on in my life. Or um, I want everything to be all tidied up, look really nice and neat, this perfect little package wherever we go, right? So that's another reason and so on and so forth. And so that today um, we're going to work together through some of these things and some of the reasons why we put on the do not disturb sign in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. 
Um, and so I hope that you will uh, join us along with the little handout that we've given you. And if you have any questions along the way, we'll, uh, we'll be happy to um, answer some of those. All right, good morning. I'm the good-looking one in the relationship. That's a, <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> uh, let me uh, introduce you to our family. Uh, this is our family. This is, um, um, this is me without the beard, and then and my wife. Um, this is Yesenia, and this is Daisy. They are um, our adopted daughters. Um, and then this is my daughter, uh, biological daughter, Vanessa. And this is my son, Jonathan, who tomorrow is going to Germany. He's in the Army, so he's going to Germany tomorrow. Um, so now um, we, have we have an empty nest, which is pretty cool. It's amazing, fantastic. There's food left over now when we... <laughs> I don't have to hide stuff behind other stuff. <laughs> and this is my son-in-law who's married to my daughter, which I thought was going to be great because I thought once they're married, they're not going to come back and ask for money. I was, <laughs> <laughs> was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, so, so this is our, our, our family. We are um, we're blessed to have a family, but every family has a story. And our story um, begins like this. We're going to share parts of our story in the different presentations. We want to build on each presentation every day, um, going all the way to Friday, which is a family exercise that we're going to do. But our, our story uh, begins like this. We, we got married in 1992. I was studying to be a pastor, and the summer that I graduated, we got married. I I remember um, starting off my job and my marriage at the same time, and I I thought that my primary assignment was to be successful at what I did. Um, I was working as an associate pastor. And my senior pastor, in the first meeting that we had, told me that we don't take any days off. And the reason why we don't take any days off is because the devil doesn't take any days off. Um, but the devil is a terrible role model. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if we should be imitating the devil. Uh, but that was his reasoning. And I jumped into my job, and so did my wife. She graduated with a degree in education. And she would go to work at 5 in the morning, and at that time I would be sleeping. And when she came home at 6, I would be out doing ministry. And when I came home at 11, she would be sleeping. So we lived in the same house and slept in the same bed. And there were days that we didn't see each other. Uh, Sabbath was for church, and Sunday was for baseball. So we were, we were strangers in our own home. And I remember th um, 10 years into this experience, 
that God worked on me and have you ever been slapped by God like what are you doing anybody or just me all right and, and I was like what what are you you trying to save the world and and then it has young kids at home um, so I I got in front of the church and I apologized to my wife and my kids because I have been neglectful with them and I said from now on we're gonna I'm gonna take a day a day off gonna be Monday so I told my church on Monday nobody die nobody get divorced nobody fight <laughs> like schedule your funeral for Tuesday <laughs> through Friday uh, <laughs> and and we said we're gonna start making uh, specific boundaries because if you don't put boundaries uh, nobody's gonna put them for you uh, church is probably one of the only places that will suck all the blood out of you and then criticize you for being pale. Um, and they would, I said, we're going to have dinner together. I'm going to be in every one of my kids' games. And my, my children played for Avenue School, so that meant they never won anything. Uh, <laughs> it was all like 17 to 2 on the first the first half. Um, and And it was interesting how... That year that we set boundaries and we became intentional about our family, uh, our church experienced the, the highest growth rate. Um, the church's husband is not the pastor, is, is Jesus, right? Um, so I, w I want to, um, we want to share during this week some specific principles that we have found helpful in our own marriage. Every family has a story. No matter how nice you look in the weekend, everybody's dealing with something. Dealing with a new transition in your life. You're dealing with issues with kids. You're dealing with illnesses. You're dealing with your own parents, whatever it is that you're going through, we're going to try to address it from pers from the perspective of Scripture and what we have seen that works. So this morning, I'm going to I'm going to ask my wife to just join me here, and we're going to go through our first presentation. We're just going to give just that like the background and that do this do not disturb um, all of us. And I remember, I remember when I was like neck deep into work I would have along the way people that will tell me don't you think you're working too much are you spending time with your family and my first reaction was to be defensive and to say well but you know people need me and I have stuff to do and that was my do not disturb and it wasn't until I took it off that God was able to operate a change in me, we're going to tell part of our story um, going on uh, during the week. But there is a um, there is a nice uh, poem that we'd like to to read to you. It's right there in your also in your handouts. You want to read the poem? Sure. Um, so it's on the first page of that handout. It says, "Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little." When we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. So what is it that we don't want 
God to disturb us? Why is it that we want to preserve whatever it is that we have right now? I, we want to share with you three, three reasons why. Number one, we are professional excuse makers. I like the quote from, um, from Tim Keller that he says, whatever the, wha the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. Um, I have found in my own experience that if you want to, you'll find reasons, but if you don't want to, you'll find excuses. I'm sitting down, I'm watching. I don't know if anybody identifies with this, but uh, it seems to me that in the moment that the game is the most interesting there's <laughs> there's somebody that wants my attention either it was my children my spouse um, could you take the trash out for a moment um, they're gonna come and pick it up there's there's something that wants my attention and immediately I get back aches and uh, ear aches and headaches and whatever it is that you don't want to do you will find excuses not to and whatever it is that you do want to do you'll find reasons to do we the reason we don't want God to disturb us is because we are professional excuse makers. We are finding reasons why a different path would not be the right one. For me, it was, I'm just starting out. I have to establish some credibility. This is a church plan. People need me. I had people call me. I'm telling you, if you don't put, uh, if you don't put, Boundaries, nobody's going to put them for you. I, I had people call me at 12 o'clock, midnight. I remember this lady one time, she called me. It was 12 o'clock on a Saturday night. I had had the longest day, and she called me at 12 o'clock, and she said, uh, Pastor, you need to come to my house. My husband has a machete, and he wants to kill me. And I'm like, what? Like, what am I going to do <laughs> against a machete? I'm sorry, am I going to throw my hymnal? Because, <laughs> you know, the hymnals are tough, tougher than the, the Bibles. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, call the cops. He's like, no, if they call the cops, they're going to arrest them. Exactly. <laughs> and it was all this giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And no matter how much I gave, there was always something else to do but I was all I would always find excuses I will always say and my wife likes to say this um, because this this is uh, her ex experience as well when we neglect our families we always think my family will understand like my boss will never understand co-workers will never understand my church will never understand. The people I report to will never understand. My family will understand. And we neglect the most important people in our lives. The reason why we don't want God to disturb us is because we are professional excuse makers. Number two. So as we are going into, as we're, you know, making these uh excuses or in putting up the do not disturb sign, oftentimes we believe certain myths um, and they fall, they get us into this trap. And one of the first myth is the myth of experience, uh, the myth of experience. So you may have heard of this myth. 
So it kind of goes like this. Well, I've gone through that once. I, I now know better. I'm not going to do that again. So that is definitely me. I, I don't know if you can re relate to that, but that myth is definitely me. I um, So for me, constantly coming up with that excuse or use or believing in that myth just kept me uh, making the same mistakes over and over and over because sometimes we don't always learn from our experiences. We think that because we've gone through it once, we won't do that again. The problem with that is most problems in our marriage are patterns of behavior that we have. It's patterns of behavior that we have. And it doesn't matter how many times we go through it or how many experiences we might have gone through. Still, if it's a pattern of your behavior, you're going to do that habit again. You're going to um, make that mistake again. So in my case, um, I grew up very early in life. Um, circumstances made it that that was the case. I had a mother who was very sick. Uh, and my parents, my parents divorced, and then I went to live with my mom, but my mom was always very, very sick. And so I, at a very young age, had to grow up and become the main caretaker of my sister. So by the age of like 11, 12, 13, I was already like an adult in a sense, doing everything that my mom would normally do for us. That was my role. So a part of me, because of my past and the patterns that I grew up with, um, I carried that into my marriage. I am very motherly because, as you can imagine, at a very young age, I had to become very motherly. So I tend to mother my husband uh, at times or often, uh, and that was a big issue that we had in our marriage. I tended to be a little bit controlling and very motherly because of my experience, right? My experience in life brought me that. And I had to learn to undo that. Uh, I had to learn to get rid of that. And I had to understand that my husband is my husband, my children, my children. And I can't always make sure everything is okay and control every situation. Though when I was younger, I felt like that whole responsibility was on my shoulders. If I wasn't there, if I didn't take care of my sister, or if I didn't handle things, who would? There was no one to do it but me. So that, I carried that experience, right, all through my life, raising my kids and into my, ma into my marriage. It has taken, I think, way longer to somewhat undo that because I am still definitely not perfect. And this comes back to me, and this form of my being uh, comes back to me. But it has taken a long time to undo a little bit of that and give God much more control and know that he's the one that's helping, that's helping to take care of my family, and it's not all on my shoulders. Yeah, what one, of the, one of the liberating truths of the gospel is that God is powerful, and because he is powerful, I don't have to be in control. And everybody has a controlling, all of us are, are control freaks. Some of us just have it, uh, uh, have a higher dose than others. Uh, I just want to uh, just plug something in your ear uh, this morning. T uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about um, something that is one of my favorites. It's called uh, Women Are Not Property and Men Are Not Projects. Um, so um, I want to hear amen. Yes, amen. Yes. Um, so make sure that you invite some friends uh, and come out tomorrow. The first myth is experience. Second myth is the myth of the right person. 
Uh, I see this often. We've counseled uh, couples over the last uh, 26 years that we've been in in um, in ministry, and and I see this uh, pop up quite often. Um, the myth of the right person says the reason that I'm having issues is because there's a one and only for people. God created a one and only person that I was supposed to marry, and the reason I have, I'm having issues. In, in the relationship that I am in now is because I did not marry the one and only. Therefore, I either need to just tolerate until one of us dies or divorce, separate, look for that one and only. And I think this myth is damaging. And I hear it, especially if you have children, young adult children, Make sure that you understand, that, that you explain to them that this is a myth. There is not a one and only. There is a, maybe a type of person that will be, um, that you can connect with, that you can be in a relation, a type of person, not, not just a one and only person. I've, I've had this conversation with people that were in the midst of divorce. I said, um, I did not marry my Eve. I I married the wrong person. Uh, instead of trying to change the person, you you be the right person. Um, number three. The third myth is the myth of promise. Um, I promise I'll never do that again. And what happens is number one, we are human beings, right? And we will fall. And we will make, we will sin, we will do that same habit again. And so you just broke your promise. And then what that does, it just compounds the problem. Because if you promised, you would never do that again. And then you do that again. Now you're breaking a promise and there's mistrust. So to promise, I'll never do that again, is practically impossible. And the problem with promising is that you're kind of like looking towards the future versus looking at the problem that you're in currently right now. So the myth of the promise. Yeah, Ellen White says that promises are, are like ropes of sand. Uh, promise by definition, the word by definition is, is, is you focus on the, on the future and you need help now. Number four, the fourth uh, promise, uh, the fourth, fourth myth is a myth of location. The myth of location goes like this. The reason we're having issues right now is because we live with our in-laws. If we lived in a different location, things would be best. Um, if we did not live in Carolina, maybe when we used to live down in Alabama, that, w uh, that was great then. Now, um, the reason why we're having issues is because the people, the community that we live in is, be is, the, is the one that ruined our kids. The, uh, the myth of location says that the reason why you're having issues and struggles in your marriage is because of your surroundings. And while that might be partially correct because um, we are definitely impacted with the people that surround us. You are the combination of your five closest friends. Um, at the end of the day, we have to take responsibility and understand that we are, we make decisions about who we are. If you think about the, do something for me. Think about the top three mistakes you've ever made. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds. The top three mistakes you've ever made. You know what the common denominator in all those three mistakes were? 
you. Like you follow yourself around. Wherever you go, there you are. And, it, and it's easy for us to say, man, is that water coming out of the ceiling? Mercy. <laughs> it's easy for us to say, well, if I only lived in a different location, if I lived in a different house, if I didn't, if I, if I wanted to surround it by these in-laws, if I had somebody else's in-laws, I've had um, young kids, for example, and 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 parents come to me and say, "Hey, my kid uh, is smoking weed, and it's because of the school. So I'm gonna send them uh, with his grandparents. They live that th they live." Oh, way in the country, and I'm going to send them over there. And like six months into it, the kid's no longer smoking weed. Now he's, um, he's planting it and selling it, right? Because you have to take responsibility for you. Jesus was born in Nazareth, but Nazareth was not in Jesus. Wherever we are, we can grow. This grass is greener on the other side syndrome. Like if only circumstances will change, then I will change, is a passive attitude towards life that keeps us in a room with a do not disturb on the door. That I can't take responsibility. I can't do anything about what, what I am going through right now. There's nothing that I can contribute to this. That, so that's a myth. So tell me in this room, let's see, what are some of the things you guys are afraid of? Someone, huh? Flying, you're afraid of flying, okay? What are some, what's something else that, that someone in this room is a? Wasps? Yes, wasps, okay? Loss of your children, okay? Not having enough money, alrighty? Failure. I thought y'all were going to say like spiders, but you guys are coming up with deep things, right? Cockroaches <laughs> is my daughter. Yeah, so. my daughter. She will literally like freak out beyond anything when there's a roach. Yeah? <laughs> so fear. What does fear do to you? You're afraid of not having money. You're afraid of, you know, cockroaches. What happens when these things, you know, when you encounter these circum, you're paralyzed, right? You become like, you, d you, you just, don't move like you don't know what to do it paralyzes you it, it it and that's actually the first answer to the first one under the next section what are, when we are afraid fear paralyzes us fear paralyzes us and remember i mentioned like the whole controlling thing literally the idea for me of not having my hand on things and and my say or how things should be at first literally was like I couldn't let go of that. It was very fearful. It was, a, it was something that had me in fear. And why do you think that was? Why do you guys think that that caused me fear and I didn't know I couldn't do it? I just couldn't. Because that's the way I had always kind of functioned and lived and that's what was safe for me. So when we have to face some of our issues, or when we have things that we're fearful of, it paralyzes us. The idea of change even will paralyze you. Um, you really, you know, if people are afraid of speaking in public, the idea of doing what I'm doing right now would put some of you guys like in total, 
you know, shocked. Like you would never be able to come up here and do this. It's just, the th and so we have to learn what are the, th what is the reason behind that, that, that thing paralyzes me. So that's the first thing that fear does. Um, I have a friend who, unfortunately, she's had to um, live a life of a lot of pain because of, the of what she has seen her mother go through. And she has tried to help her mother get out of very difficult situations. So uh, her father, my friend's father, um, has not been the best husband. He has been verbally abusive. He has neglected. He has practically almost enslaved the mother. Uh, she is the one that goes to work. She's the one that provides the money. Then he takes all the money. He, she can't see it, nor does he even half provide food in the home. And my friend has had to see this go on and on and on and on. And she's tried to help her mother in so many ways. She, you know, she's now an adult. She's like, Mom, I will, I'll take you out of the situation. Come, just, just leave him. And the mother has literally said, no matter what, I will never leave your father. So the question is, what has her so paralyzed? What fear is in this, her mother so much that she can't even imagine living a better life? What is it that paralyzes her? One thing about human beings is this, because when you, um, when, when you come in contact with somebody, and is it easier to diagnose in other, other people that, than it is in ourselves? Um, it, when we come in contact with somebody who's in a bad relationship, everybody sees it, except for them. And sometimes, and, and most of the time, they're making excuses. Um, human beings have this characteristic. Um, and you see it revealed in the people of Israel when they left Egypt. They were killing their kids. They were not able to worship on Sabbath. It was affecting their worship, their spiritual walk. It was affecting their families. It, it was affecting their future. And the moment they left that dysfunctional relationship with Egypt and they got in the desert and something did not go their way, the first thing they said was, we wish we were back there. This is a principle. If you want to write it down, it would be great. Human beings normally prefer the dysfunction they know rather than the healing they don't. Why do people stay in abusive relationships like my wife just said? Why is so somebody in a relationship with somebody that gives them no love, takes all their money, abuses them physically and verbally, neglects them, and probably has somebody else on the side? Why somebody choose to stay in that relationship? Because by as human beings, we rather stay, we prefer dysfunction we know rather than the healing that we don't. And it's have you ever seen a show on TV um, of this this homes that hoarders that everybody sees that there's a problem except for the hoarder, right? So I I I need people in my life that are going to look me in the eye and tell me the truth. I don't need yes men. I need people in my life that will love me enough and will stick it out with me. It's not only point out my issue but tell me 
this is the way out, and I'm committed to helping you out, right? The reason why we don't want God to come in and, and mess with our hoarding issues that we have is because of fear. And fear is not shown by your feeling. Fear is not a feeling you feel. It's an action that you do. You, you know how afraid you are whether you act in a certain way or not. So the second thing about fear is that fear imagines the worst possible outcome. One of these major universities did a study. I don't know if it was uh, Harvard and one of the, 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 the top five. And they, they did a study about human thoughts. And they found out that human beings, a, a, a normal, run-of-the-mill human being, 70% of our thoughts are negative. We found our enemy, and the enemy is us. Like, we shoot ourselves in the foot. I've seen, I, I'll give you a personal illustration. Um, we have, we've adopted two, two, uh, two children. Uh, both of them came into our home when they were teenagers. Yeah, 15 and 16. We loved them to death. The, we had small kids, and then we had teenagers. And we had, we had small kids. They were like five and seven. And then we had teenagers. We, I thought it was going to be a while until I had teenagers. And then all of a sudden, God changed my plan. God is funny that way. Uh, so we, we, ha we had two teenagers. And, and one of them especially, the oldest, um, had issues receiving love. You ever met somebody who has issues receiving love and experiencing love? And what she would do, because she moved around from foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home, and she never found acceptance and true love, that she would, she would do negative, destructive things to sabotage our relationship before we would tell her that she would have to go. Like, before they kick me out, I'm going to kick myself out. The fear imagines the worst possible outcome. In her mind, it's like, if eventually I'm going to mess up that these people are going to say, you can't live here anymore. And before they do that, I'm just going to do some destructive things so they kick me out. So I control my outcomes. Fear imagines the worst possible outcome. It's, it's amazing when we start thinking about the things that happen in our life. For, for me, um, this is my personal struggle. I, I love my wife, and I am happily married. I never think my wife's going to be unfaithful. I don't stay up at night thinking we're going to end up in a divorce. I think... We're going to be married until Jesus comes. Um, and really, I really love this, this thing right here. What, what I worry about is my kids. Anybody with me? Anybody worry about their kids that stay up at night thinking and, and asking yourself, well, what does it make this decision? Then this is going to happen. And if this happens, then this is going to happen with school. And this happens with school. And then you play a scenario in your life. That at the end of that scenario, 
they're being led to uh, to jail. It's it, it, it's amazing the capacity, the ability of the mind to think the worst case scenario. What if I change? What if I started being more of a gentleman? I've had men tell me, said if I treat my wife too good, then she's gonna start ruling over me. And you have to treat them a little bad so they love you more. I don't know who taught them this, but this is it's, it's a fear. It's a real, I've heard it consistently that if you open up as a man, if you open up completely. So we are afraid of God coming in and messing our hoarding emotions and issues. And it's amazing once you start opening up to see that you're not the only one dealing with this stuff. I talk to other people that have issues with their kids, and I'm like, man, I thought I was the only pastor dealing with issues with his, with his kids. And it's reassuring to me to hear other people dealing with issues with their kids, and we, we pray for each other's kids. So fear paralyzes. Fear imagines the worst possible outcome. In my life, um, when I was younger, when I was about uh, 15 or 16, just before I... Uh, got baptized and gave my life to Christ. Um, I can remember that for me, I could not imagine me having a good, happy, healthy marriage. I imagined at a very young age, and this I related to one of my foster girls. She also spoke this way when she came to live with us. She would say this and prophesy this about her future. Um, but I would say to myself, okay, so I might find a nice guy, but he'll probably uh, cheat on me, and then he'll probably beat me or my children, and then I'll probably get divorced, and then he'll see who'll accept me afterwards. I mean, this is what I, at the age of 15 or 16, thought for my future. But it's amazing what happens when you start, when, you know, when Jesus comes into your life, and you see that he has good things planned for you. And those fears that you once had, God has answers for in his word. And so... As I got to know my Jesus, as I got to have a relationship with him, as I got to see all of these wonderful promises and, these, and the good future and the good things that he wanted for me, I started seeing personally that that's not what God wanted. And he started changing my mentality about my future and what it would be like. And I am so grateful because it's the total opposite of what I thought it would be. Um, but that did not come easily. That took some time, and that took some trusting, and that took some believing in God's promises and his word for me, how he transformed me. And because of that, I haven't been, you know, thank God we have not, I haven't sabotaged our marriage into what, it, you know, this horrible outcome. I'm very grateful for what God can do. He can change that fear in your life. And this is just, I'm just going to say some, some real talk right now. Hey. After 26 years as a pastor and in my own personal recovery um, and growth from anxiety and concern, I am keenly aware that a lot of our issues that we have in our marriage come because of a background of control and fear versus grace and, f grace and faith. If you dig deep enough, you'll find control and fear in how we raise our kids, 
in how we relate to each other, in our own spiritual experience, never feeling good enough, never feeling worthy enough. Your theology influences your behavior. So you have to ask yourself, am I operating daily in a grace and faith paradigm with my children? Or am I operating every day on a fear and control? Am I operating daily on a grace and faith with my spouse, with myself, with my future? I remember when, when Kathy and I were, were friends, we were in a friend zone. And I thought she liked me, but she's very friendly. So I wasn't really sure whether she liked me or not. Uh, so I wanted to say, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to tell her, uh, I wanted to ask her to be my girlfriend. I remember uh, we were going to school together in Columbia Union College. And, and I remember, this is, this is how fear operates. And I remember uh, trying to, I say, should I just say it out? Should I just go straight and ask her to be my girlfriend? I say, but that's going to be, what if she says no? So this, this, this thought, what if, what if she says no? And I've learned in my own anxiety, in my own growth as a person, I remember I, I learned to replace that what if it doesn't go wrong to what if it does? What if it does? What if they do come back? What if we do have a great marriage? But at that moment, I wasn't like that. So I was afraid. So I decided to tell her a parable. <laughs> and I said, we, we, were, we had been talking for a couple hours, and she was about to go to the dorm room. And before she left, I said, Kathy, I have to tell you something. And I want you to think about it. Call me later. Tell me what to think about. She's, I, t I told her, you to me. You're like a rock in my shoe. <laughs> and then he said goodnight <laughs> and left it at that. I was like, what in the world was that? So I went back to my room. It was super romantic. It was a super romantic parable. <laughs> so I went back to my dorm room, and I walk in the door, and I started telling my best friend, my roommate, what he had said, and I like immediately started bursting out in tears because like I'm like a pain. I'm a bother. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm disrupting his life or, you know, what in the world? And so shortly after that, um, I get a phone call in the dorm and it is Roger and he, my, my roommate answered and she was not happy uh, with him at all. And so he was like, no, put it on the phone. Let me explain. So I get on the phone and he, he's trying to be Mr. Rico Suave on the other end. Uh, uh, Kathy, uh. Uh, I'm sorry I upset you. And so I was like, well, I'm sorry. I'm such a bother. I didn't, I didn't realize it. Hey, I'll back off. We don't have to spend ta you know, time talking. I, you know, please, uh, I apologize. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not at all what I meant. And so he proceeds to tell me that I'm like a rock in his shoe, that he can never get me off of his mind. Wherever I go, there you are with me. Yeah. Like <laughs> in in my sh I don't know why this is so hard to understand. <laughs> Such a. I was like, you should have just said that. Why did you say it in such a like confusing manner? So I'm, I'm so I'm asking myself, what is it that I am 
What change is God not able to operate in me because of my fear? What is it that God wants to do in my life, but, I, but he won't because I'm afraid of taking a step? If you, already, if you already knew you could do it, why would you need God for? Most of the major advancements in technology, in humanity, came when somebody said to their fear, uh, my faith is bigger. So f- this, is, this is the do not disturb. We're, we're hoarding, and everybody in here has a story. What is it that you're putting that little sign out, that you want the image to be one, where you're actually dealing with stuff in your own life that is not that pretty? What is it? that God needs to come in and clean up? What is it that you need to move ahead in faith? There's a, there's a final, um, there's a final thought here in this, in the fear one. Fear does not improve the outcome. I, I, I remember very few conversations, if, if any, in my life that said, you know what? I was very afraid and I didn't do anything and my life got really better. It improved so much. Fear does not improve the outcome. But once again, we prefer dysfunction we don't we know rather than the healing that we don't. But at some point we had to walk. And just like God told the Israelites, you've been around this mountain too long. Maybe this camp meeting is the time where you're finally going to say, All right. I'm open and available so you can work with me. You can mess with my mess. Major takeaway from today is written in your paper. Learn from the past, plan for the future, but live in the present. Decide. This is the decision that we want to make today. This is the affirmation that we want to make today. I am not in love with the future version of my spouse. I'm not in love with the future version. That's always, they're always constructing. I'm always expecting something else. I'm never happy with what is. I'm never affirming of progress because I expect perfection. Once again, theology has a direct connection to the way we relate to each other. If all if your goal is not excellence but perfection, you're always going to be disappointed. There are four questions in the bottom. If you're here with your spouse, you can do it with them. If you're here without your spouse or you do not have a spouse, these apply as well. Four questions. Uh, Question number one is, what area of my life am I refusing to allow God to change me in? That's the first one. And that might be one area. That might be a couple. uh, But uh, go ahead and write that down. Which myth do I tend to fall for? And those are going back to the four myths, the myth of experience, the myth of the right person, the myth of promise, the myth of location. Which one of those do I most relate to? How has my past influenced my present behavior? 
how has my past influenced my present behavior? And I kind of give you a little bit of an example of myself and my husband did as well. And so each one, each like my husband said, we each have our story. So what is it about our past that's changing our present behavior? And who is my truth teller? My husband mentioned this as well. We all need somebody to kind of look at us and just kind of tell us the truth of what is going on in our lives. Because so often we're in the middle of the mess and we just don't even know it. We're just right in it and we don't notice. All right, so we're going to take uh, some, some time uh, now uh, on a personal level. Once you're, you've done with that, then you may um, go on to the next uh, seminar tomorrow. We're going to uh, talk about our story and, and three principles that we made, three principles that we followed uh, that had a direct, specific impact in how we related to each other, and we saw specific progress using those principles. That's, that's what we're going to share tomorrow. Um, at the end of this week, we're going to go. This is a, this is my son, so you guys can pray for him. He's leaving tomorrow. Good-looking guy, right? Uh, he's single. Uh, if somebody wants, uh, I'm taking applications. Um, it's a $25 application fee, non-refundable. <laughs> uh, but we're going to see him. We're going to go to Germany and see him. Um, I've I've written a couple of books. Two of those books I have here today. Um, one of them is Failure is Not Final, and the other one is We All Have Problems. Both of them have relationship and marriage advice in them, um, and we brought some this morning. So after we have the last prayer, if you want to get some of these books, you can come and see uh, Kathy. Uh, we are going to do as a donation basis. This money is not going to help you know poor people anywhere we're going to use it to go see our son right Th so that's <laughs> it's going to be 100 percent. we're going to use it 100 percent uh <laughs> so if you just give a donation whatever it is that and you feel and if you want both of them or one of them uh you feel free to to enjoy it give it away uh i can sign it put a message if you want to give it to somebody else uh, but it's been a pleasure for us being here today we're, we're going to give you some time now that you can um connect with the message and, and uh, we hope to see you uh, tomorrow morning. Kathy, you want to pray? Definitely, I'd be happy to. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask and pray that you work in our hearts. Um, just disturb us a little bit over the, you know, this evening and over the next few days. Help bring to light the areas in our marriage or in our personal life that we need for you to come and intervene and change. Please, Lord, allow us to take the do not disturb sign off um, in, in our lives and specifically in those areas so that you, Lord, can truly help us and work. Lord, we ask that this be a reality in the families that are presented here. I ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.